Romans 8, verses 12 down, uh, sorry, verse uh, 9. I'm going to read from verse 9 down to verse 17. And our message is focusing simply on verses 12, 13, and 14. Let's hear God's word. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we all may also be glorified together. And there, the Holy Word of God that will endure forever. I was reminded in the preparation of uh, this message uh, that uh, in a few days, in 12 days exactly, we will be celebrating the 75th anniversary of VE, Victory in Europe. May 8th, 1945, the war, if you will, officially ended in Europe. It would continue on for another couple months on the Asian continent and against Japan. But uh, victory came uh, 75 years ago uh, to Europe. And, and it wasn't a victory that was easily won. It, it was, if you will, a, a victory that found its real beginning on June 6, almost a year prior to that, what we call D-Day. And, and it took the labor of many Nations, the Allied forces, it took a vigorous year of fighting to accomplish that victory. And it was costly. Uh, the, the death toll of, of, of soldiers and, and civilians on both sides. Uh, the sacrifices that, that were undertaken, the death, the suffering. And, and what began on the beaches of Normandy, uh, ending in the gates of Berlin, every kilometer, it seemed, was a battlefield. But victory came in the end. 
And as the Allied forces moved forward, victory after victory was experienced by country after country as each one of them were liberated. Some were only liberated days before. Uh, I looked it up. France and, and Belgium in the month of September were liberated. But Holland, it was May 5th, 1945 before they actually experienced it. But it came. And in thinking on that, and, and uh, it, it's something I believe we can use as a metaphor for the Christian life. <laughs> that, that our coming to faith in Christ and the beginning of that life with the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit and that conversion experience, we understand that our life here on earth is now a journey of faith in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is one where the victory of it is held forth for us when we reach heavenly glory, when we stand before our God and and are renewed in our whole being, body and soul, in the glories and perfections of Jesus Christ and able to worship and dwell in the presence of the Holy God without any sin, without even the very presence of the smallest of sin, with no death before us. There is the victory we have. But we understand that the Christian life between regeneration and that glory is one where it seems every kilometer is a battlefield. Uh, we have our times of respite and, and relaxation, but we have our battlefields as well. We know the, the victory is, is won already by our Lord and Savior, but in this life, we understand that we are in need, as the Word tells us, to put to death what remains in the members of this body. And it's hard. But I, I want us to think on this as we, as we turn to this text. And I want us to uh, consider two big questions that, that pertain to this text. How do you know that you are a child of the living God? Now, notice I didn't ask, do you believe in God? <laughs> I'm asking a more particular question there. I'm asking you, how do you know that you are a beloved child of God? And with that comes this other question, and and this is from our text, from verses 12 to 14. How do you know the Spirit dwells in you and is leading you? And and I want to say those two questions... Though they sound different, they have that one answer. They, 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 it comes and meets us there in verse 14 when, when Paul writes there, he says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. It died? It's, it's just SMS message. Sorry. No, we're still live. Sorry, we thought it it it, uh, it it crashed there for a minute, but anyway, we we understand what Paul is saying there. 
those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And so, in, in response to those two questions, there is this one answer that meets us. We know we are a child of the living God and that the Spirit is leading us when we are going forward in a life of holiness, putting to death sin that yet remains in us. Now, I know that's not the only answer to those questions, but it is a response that meets us here when we are dealing with all that pertains to living our life in the Spirit as a child of the living God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And and it begs another question, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? And and here again, we need to uh, have a, a biblical answer to that. When Paul here talks about being led by the Spirit, he's not at all speaking about how the Spirit directs you when it comes to making life's decisions. He's not talking about how so many Christians very carelessly use the language of, oh, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me, or the Holy Spirit led me to do this, or the Holy Spirit led me to to write this song, or the Holy Spirit led me to do and, 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 and uh, speak to you in this way. And I say that's careless, not because I don't believe that the Spirit doesn't move and stir in us thoughts. I do believe the Spirit, when, when people come to our mind and, and we dwell on them for a moment and thinking of perhaps their circumstances and, and, and then realizing, okay, they have been brought to my mind. I, maybe I should be praying for them or maybe I should be calling them. And you call them and you say, you know, you've been on my mind and I just felt like the Spirit was telling me to think on you and to call you. I'm not denying those experiences aren't real and true. But when Paul here talks about being led by the Spirit, that's not what he has in mind. And in fact, I would challenge those who who would speak about, God led me to write this song. Uh, You may have felt an, an urging Uh, from your thoughts and feelings to express and write them down. But you have to be careful that you're not equating those things uh, in, in the same light as God's Word, in the same light of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to all our hearts. What may be precious to you in that moment is not necessarily applicable to everyone. No. What does it mean to be to be led by the Spirit. It means to be led into a life of holiness where you every day are experiencing more and more the death of sin in you and the bursting forth of life and righteousness in Christ. We call that, and there's two words that pertain to that. We call that sanctification. 
where, where we are seeing ourselves by that work of God's grace and the power of the Spirit. We are seeing ourselves dying to sin, living to righteousness. And, and, and in line with that is the issue that Paul is talking about in verses 12 and 13. In line with that, Dying to sin has a theological term too. It's called mortification. Mortify sin, as he says there. Or put to death. Mortify, put to death the deeds of the body. And when you talk about being led by the Spirit... And and that leading of the Spirit, affirming in your own soul and bearing witness to you by His leading, you are a child of the living God. It is, it is to be a comforting, though difficult, experience of life in Christ. I challenge you, do you see, do you see sin being put to death in your life? Not just that you have in, in a moment of time stopped doing certain things and are now moving forward and, and yet not, not experiencing more and more of sin in your life finding its death. <laughs> no, that, that's the Christian life. Do you see the wrong that you used to do without regard of its evil nature or regard of its consequences? Do you see more and more of that? Not just being hated, but being subdued. (laughs) Being put to death in your life. And a new righteous, good and holy activity replacing it. That's mortification. That's sanctification. That's being led by the Spirit. And that's what Paul is getting at here for us. And, 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 and with that, I, I want us just to consider three things tonight. First of all, in respect of verse 13, understanding the, the impact of mortification in our life as Christians. Understanding what it is to put to death sin in our life. You read that in verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And what he means by the flesh is, if you are still living according to your sinful nature, if you do not see in your life that new creation work of the Holy Spirit in showing you the redemptive grace of Jesus Christ and showing you the image of Christ in His righteousness as that which you are now being conformed to. If you aren't seeing that, but all you are doing is living according to your sinful nature, then you have not experienced redemption. That, that's, the, that's the hard truth here. You're not of Christ. And if your heart's desire isn't set on, on the glory of Christ, but it's just continuing on living your life how you please and how you will, 
No regard of sin. No issue of faith in what Christ has done to pay the penalty of your sin. No regard of the repentance you need each day to receive forgiveness and cleansing from your sins that you commit every day. If that doesn't define you, then you're living according to the flesh. And that's what he says. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live according to the Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body and you will live. And that's, that's mortification. Putting to death. It's essentially a desire and work where you stop allowing your body and your soul to be vessels for sin. And it's not, and I want to emphasize this, It is never a work that is fully accomplished this side of glory. This side of either our soul uh, meeting the Lord and waiting for the day of resurrection or the Lord returning and reviving us and removing all of sin from us. As long as we live here on earth, Mortification is a daily task. We are ever wrestling with that corruption within us, that old sinful nature. We are ever wrestling to stop allowing our body and soul to be vessels for sin. It's hard. It's like D Day has begun. <laughs> But every kilometer is a battle. And, and in mortifying sin, in putting death to death sin in your own life, it means recognizing sin within you. Now, I don't think these are complete lists, but I direct your attention to Galatians 5, 19 and 20, and to Colossians 3, verses 5 to 9. And, and these are are two comprehensive lists of the deeds of the flesh, the works of the flesh. They are Paul's way of saying, do you want to know what seeds of sin yet reside within you? Well, here they are. Galatians 5, 19 and 20 is the most extensive list within Scripture. Listen to these things. He lists 17 things that are called the works of the flesh. And these are evident. If you think any one of these things are okay, then your mind is set on the flesh and not on the Spirit. That's his point. Listen to this. The works of the flesh are evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and and note what he says after that, and the like. That's our way of saying, etc. There's more to this list. And, and, And I think that that those last three words of that list and the like is a reminder to us not to think, oh, well, I haven't done that, 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 and that. Hey, I'm great. I've got it all accomplished. No, you haven't. 
Because within your heart are yet those seeds that he mentions. These are the works of the flesh. And the seeds of all 17 that he mentions, they are in you because you have that old man, that old sinful nature that is still abiding within you and circumstances and challenges and trials and temptations can come and, and revive them. And as he says there, I tell you before, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what he means there in Galatians 5 when he says those who practice such things, if this is what defines your life, then you better check if you're in Christ or not. Because the practice of these things is not being led by the Spirit, it's being led by the flesh. And in Colossians 3, I think these two lists are important for us to see because, again, we can fall into that trap as Christians of thinking, oh, well, I've got it all covered. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a murderer. I'm not this. I'm not that. And we've got that checklist that we've, you know, filled in and and say, well, I've got it all covered. (laughs) Well, no, there's so much more. But he says much of the same thing. Colossians 3, verse 5. Fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desires covetousness which is idolatry and then he goes down a little further anger, wrath, malice blasphemy, filthy language lying my friends these these you have to put off you've put off the old man with his deeds Put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of Him who created Him. In other words, you've got a new creation work going on in you. You are a new man being renewed in the knowledge of that image of Christ to which you are being conformed. Praise God! That's the good work He has begun in you. But note, and and I know many of you know that verse from Philippians 1.6. He who has begun this good work, he will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ. But when you stop and think about that, Yes, we're, we're looking at the faithfulness of God who by His Spirit will finish, will complete that good work that He's begun in us. But did you notice, when is that going to happen? Tomorrow? <laughs> no. The day of Christ. The day of our Lord. Which is a reminder to us that He's ever working every day in our life to bring about that glorious image of Christ. It's by measure, by measure, by measure that this happens. It has not been completed in you. And if you think it has, you're believing a lie. 
I look at these two lists and, you know, under the context of mortification, one of the things that just strikes me is the frightening nature of sin that yet abides in our hearts. And when you think about this, when you think about these two lists, you, you, you step back and you realize this, this isn't about Christians who no longer smoke, swear, or drink. <laughs> It's about realizing my life is now being led by the Spirit where I am engaged in putting to death these works of the flesh. This is what needs to be killed within us. And and understanding mortification in that light, understanding you have to put them to death, you understand that these are things you can't do without the Spirit. You need to be growing and learning and becoming more zealous to stop using your body and your soul for sin. And and this is the amazing thing when you think about it, being led by the Spirit in this work. How the Spirit of God, who, who is with God equal in all things, how the Holy Spirit has now come and taken up residence in us to effect this glorious transformation through the putting to death of the deeds of the body. Do you know what is amazing? What is also humbling? And what it is when we hear those words in Ephesians, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Here is something to think on. That you need to stop using your body and soul as instruments of sin. Because the Spirit is in you. You know, sometimes as parents, this is a humbling confession. I know it may make us laugh, but sometimes as parents, when we want to say something that we know is inappropriate, and our young children with their ears are standing near to us, we will look at our children and we will say to them, plug your ears. Or don't look at what I'm doing because we know what we're doing or what we're going to say is wrong, but we don't want them to hear or see us doing what is wrong so they can't point the finger and say, Mom, Dad, you you told us that wasn't right to do. (laughs) And so we tell them, plug your ears, close your eyes, turn away, don't look. (laughs) And sometimes we do it humorously thinking, okay, well, what they don't know won't hurt them. I want you to think, dear Christian, about mortification. That when you sin, the Holy Spirit's with you. He's not plugging His ears when you gossip, when you lie, when you say malicious, slanderous things about someone. He's not covering his eyes, if you will, when you sit down in front of the television and watch an explicit movie. 
you are bringing him into your sin. It, it is something powerful to consider, isn't it? And, and, and that's, that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and that you have been purchased by the blood of Christ and both your body and your soul are His. Therefore glorify God with your body and your soul. Don't let your body as much as your soul, don't let your body become an instrument for immorality because the Spirit of God is with you. Doesn't that say something about the faithfulness of our God and what He must tolerate from His own people? No, the Holy Spirit does not step outside of you when you commit sin and then comes back in when you're done. The Holy Spirit does not plug His ears so as not to hear the foul and bitter and malicious and evil words that are spoken. No, He's grieved by this. And we need to understand that. And that is why we're told here, put to death the deeds of the body you will live. That's why we have to pray time and time again. Fill us, Lord. Fill us with Your Spirit. We've grieved Him. Come and and allow His presence to, to rise up even more gloriously in our lives so that so that He will lead us once again in those ways of righteousness. Isn't it amazing to stop and think? You know that whole thing about once saved, always saved. I think it's even more amazing to stop and think. It's a wonder the Spirit of God is still with us. (laughs) But that says something about our God, doesn't it? Yeah, mortification, putting to death sin. Understand as well, secondly, your part in mortification. Because he says there in verse 13 that it isn't just the Spirit doing it. Look what he says. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the body, you have a part in this. The Spirit is not doing everything for you in the sense that you just sit back and say, okay, Spirit, I've got this issue. I'm waiting on you to take it all away. (laughs) Mortification is hard work. (laughs) And you will wrestle with sins. It's not a passive work of the Spirit aggressively forcing you into a box. The Spirit is indeed engaging you and engaging you with wisdom and knowledge from God's Word, and engaging you with an understanding of who you are, and what your body and soul have now become, a temple of God where the fullness of God dwells in you. And so you are to be actively engaged 
in putting to death sin. And that means you have a work in this. And it is a hard work. It means that you have taken up the mantle to do everything possible in your life to put to death sin. And sometimes it can be very hard. Recall what Jesus said in Matthew 5. What did He say? If you have a problem with your eye and it's continually causing you to sin, what are you going to do? Pluck it out. (laughs) Now, He's speaking metaphorically here. You have a problem. And I'm going to be very explicit with some of these illustrations. If you have a problem with pornography, and you're every day wrestling with it, and, and it's something you can keep hidden from other people, but you're not hiding it from God. And what's leading you there is the internet. Do you know what you might need to do? You might need to to solicit the help of another believer, but you might need to say, you know what, I'm going to have to cut the internet from my home for six months to a year until I have put to death this sin. And I'm going to ensure that somebody knows what I'm doing with my phone and with my computer equipment so that I can be guarded by other means. I'm going to pluck it out. (laughs) I'm going to cut off that hand. And and in other circumstances, it's the battle. And and, and the problem is, is that we're not willing to go to these limits to put to death sin. We're sitting back and saying, well, the Spirit has to do it. No! You have to be engaged in this. What about those friends and relationships that you have that are continually making you compromise your walk of faith and righteousness with the Lord? Oh, but they're my friends and I want to be a witness to them. Well, are you? (laughs) Or are they dragging you into iniquity. And you're following along because your willpower against peer pressure just isn't there. And it's not that they're to blame. It's that you in your own heart need to realize what must I do to put to death these sins that I'm enjoying with my friends. Well, some of it may be I need new friends. Not that they're to blame. But, but I've got to put this to death. And it also, it also means not just stopping one thing, it means replacing it with its opposite goodness and righteousness. Do you have a problem with anger? Well then, learn kindness. Pray for people that you hate. <laughs> Pray before the Lord to change your heart to learn to love and then start thinking, what can I do to such a person rather than holding them in scorn and contempt? What can I do that is good for them? And and Scripture tells us in Colossians 3 again, when he says, first of all, put off these things, he also says in verse 12, put on these things, put on tenderness, mercy, patience, love. Do good to your enemy. Pray for people who despise you. Put on a better attitude. 
You grumble and complain and are filled with bitterness. Do you know what you need to put on? An attitude of contentment and joy. Blessing. I'm going to change my language. And so you see, you have a role in this. And the Spirit will lead you in this. But understand that the Holy Spirit is daily, continually leading and engaging you into these things for you to do. If by the Spirit you put to death, that's your role. You're putting this to death in His power and strength. And the last thing that we see here is that, as he says in verse 12, understand you're a debtor to this. What language meets us there? Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. We're not indebted to our flesh anymore. We do not owe this body the pleasures of sin. We do not owe to this body the pleasures of the world around us. We are indebted now to the one who has redeemed us, body and soul, the Lord Jesus. And we are indebted to God, to a life of holiness We are no longer slaves to that old sinful nature that was at enmity to God. But now in Christ, we are indebted to the grace and the holiness of our Lord and Savior. And this is... This is not something where in in being indebted, we are paying back what we owe. We're not... We're not thinking of this debt in that light because we can never pay back what we owe, can we? No. Who has paid that debt? Who has paid the debt of our sin? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our debt to sin and to the justice of God. That has all been paid for. That has all been settled. We are set free in that debt. No, this is a debt that, that, that comes in line of this, of, of, of what I respond to in respect of God's grace. When somebody has come and said to you, I will do all of this for you, what would it be if somebody came and said, I am going to pay off your mortgage. You will no longer have debt to that bank. Now what would it be if after they did that, you went out and bought another house and incurred more debt. What would it be if you went out and put yourself in that place again? Isn't there a sense where where we understand a responsibility of response and gratitude for what that person has done? What would it be if we went out and started talking ill of that person? Or doing things contrary to what they have done to us? What would it be if we went out to someone who owed us and treated them with contempt? 
It's that sense of indebtedness that now lies upon us. A response, a deep response of gratitude to this amazing grace of God that is met us in Christ. Do you understand, dear Christian, what Christ suffered to free you from sin? Do you get the humiliation that He took to Himself in becoming a man to perfect the holiness of God in the flesh? Do you get what it cost the Father and the Son? In that separation of glory and love for those moments when Christ endured the wrath of God and judgment in our place. Do you get those things? And if none of that moves and stirs your souls to affection and adoration and zeal for His grace and glory and holiness, then shame on you. How can we neglect so great a salvation? We are debtors. But again, this is part of mortification, understanding this. Because as a pastor, I can tell you that part of my responsibility, part of the responsibility of the shepherds who are over you in the Lord is to help you in mortification, is to help you when sin rises up in your life to lead you in the way of truth and holiness and mercy and forgiveness and restoration and renewal and revival. That's part of our responsibilities. But do you know what often happens when we start exercising those responsibilities of dealing with sin in Christian's life? Do you know what what comes out is, hey, you're lording over me. Who are you to tell me what I can and can't do? You're being legalistic. And and on and on and on. It, It is often the most common response that meets us. Because the Christian hasn't owned what it means to be led by the Spirit in putting to death the deeds of the body. They don't understand our indebtedness to a God who has saved us. And I want to say, no, it's not legalism. It's not lording. It's not personal preferences and convictions. Let me really apply it. And I know this is going to sting some. But dear Christian, when you hear that commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Coupled with the commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That means your son's Sunday hockey tournament does not take you away from the holy worship of God on the Lord's day. That carelessness needs to be put to death. 
That means when God says, do not take my name in vain, that you, dear children, in our homes where we have taught and shown you the gospel of Christ, that means that He is looking to you to own your baptism and to realize the name that He has set upon you is a declaration of His desire to love you in the Lord Jesus. You hear that call to believe in Me, to repent. You hear that urging of the Spirit of God. Don't resist it. (laughs) Be led by the Spirit to cry out to Christ and say, yes, I, I own You as my Lord and Savior. Come, redeem Me from my sins. That means even you who have been a prodigal, who have wandered away in sin, and you are coming back, that it's not about what you must do to pay off the debt that you owed for all those years of wandering. God is not looking you to come back and be a servant to pay back what you have squandered. (laughs) This means... That He is looking for you to live and to walk in the Spirit and to understand that He, as your Heavenly Father, has not stopped loving you. (laughs) And in returning to Him, He wants you to rest in the righteousness of Christ and live in the Spirit. Desire the life of holiness. And that's what we are indebted to. When God says, be holy. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am holy. And I have redeemed you in the holiness, in the beauty of the holiness of My Son, who has given His life for you. How can you sit there and say, well, that's great. Thank you. I'll carry on as is. No, you are a debtor. And you are a debtor in the best sense of the word. Not owing something you cannot pay. But you are a debtor living in a glorious grace of our Lord and Savior who has paid every measure of debt that you owed to God. (laughs) Isn't that a joy? (laughs) So be one who is led by the Spirit, because as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. These are the children of God. And I ask you, dear people, are you a child of God? Are you led by the Spirit? Let's pray.